chapter, our reading today is from Exodus, um, chapter 32, verses 1 to 14, and it's found on page 90 in the, um, the Bibles in the pews, in the seats. <laughs> so Exodus 32. <clears throat> when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them, then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favour of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. This is the word of the Lord. just got the large, extra large print Bible to help me. <laughs> I need this a bit flatter. There we go. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, what a wonderful reading as we are trying to understand prayer and understand how we seek God's will. This is part of a monumental story, and let's start with that thought about stories. 
about tall stories. And I'm often accused, my children, when I'm describing things, and my children at home, that is, or at least they're not at home, but those grown-up children that I had once upon a time, <laughs> if I'm describing something, they often look at me as if to say, what are you talking about, Mum? It wasn't like that. And that's because I do often indulge in an exaggeration in order to make a point. And um, I, st I don't believe the truth is lost in the stories that I tell. I in other words, what I'm trying to say is I try very hard not to lie. Um, working with young children is fascinating because they sometimes are very, very reluctant. Well, they, they get caught up in all sorts of fantasies when they're playing. And sometimes it's really hard to decipher what really happened. And once, um, actually six years ago, I think, um, when I was first at St Andrews, had a very interesting story that came to me. And actually, I do think she's here today, but Jane Brown had just started as uh, Chair of Governors and was sitting in my room. I think she was there for the whole day just to kind of see what happened, you know, in, in the school. And um, there was a knock on the door, and a, a TA was very worried about a story that a child had told her at, at break time. And this was when um, a part of our land, which actually belonged to the church in the complicated way that our school and the, and, and the church are inter, interlinked, but a strip of land that runs up against the boundary wall of the houses on St. James's, um, was all very overgrown at the time, and then there was a fence. So there was like um, some almost waste, overgrown wasteland that ran along the side of the playground. And these boys had told the TA that there was a man in there and he had a gun. Well, I could see Mrs. Brown looking at me, what are you going to do about this then? <laughs> and, you know, I've had my safeguarding training and obviously I think to myself, well, it would be terrible, wouldn't it, if I said, oh, don't be ridiculous, and then the children are assassinated, it would be wrong. So I phoned the police with the story that there was, you know, some children had reported seeing somebody in the bushes with a gun. And by the way, there was quite a careful description. I, I interviewed the two children separately with, Mrs. with Jane Brown present, and um, they both came up with fairly similar stories, um, so they hadn't had time to confer. They're vaguely similar stories. Uh, a man of, shall we say, North African, it was very specific, what they, the, the skin tone and all the rest of it, sort of North African, black hat, um, possibly a gun, um, in the bushes. <laughs> anyway, so I phoned the police and the police took it incredibly seriously and they were there in no time at all. And the school was put on lockdown. So uh, now we're coming up for lunch time, too far away, too close, too like that too far away, sorry. Just to get into the exciting part. <laughs> and um, can it kind of go there a bit? That's, thank you. Thank you. Um, so it's coming up to lunchtime. It's a beautiful sunny day. The sky is blue. The sun is beating down. Our school is a bit of a glass house sometimes. And I had to go around and tell the children it was wet play because I couldn't really say to them, there's a man, possibly a man in the playground with a gun. So it's wet play, we're playing inside today. So that's what happened. And the police sent people and put them on every exit and entrance to the school. Um, and, and the chief constable arrived in my office. 
and they searched everywhere. They searched this rough ground. They searched around the school. They found, oh, they sent a police helicopter as well. We also had a police helicopter above the school. Now, you can understand why I haven't told this story before, can't you? Because St. Andrews is a different place now, by the way. So, um, so we had all of this happening, and they found nothing, nothing at all. And um, <clears throat> so I had to write, the chief constable said, we need to write a letter to parents. To, and the letter was something like, police incident at school. And so I'm writing this letter to parents with the chief constable, and it's coming along, something like this. So I didn't want it to sound too terrible, you know. So there were children reported seeing a man in the bushes with a gun, comma, possibly a water pistol. <laughs> because actually at one point in my questioning of the children, I said, well, what, what did it look like, this gun? Did it look like a real gun, or could it have been a water pistol? Could have been a water pistol. Okay, so that, that sort of calmed the letter down. So that was that, you know, that story, and who knows whether there was any truth in it. All I can say is that two weeks later, we found a black hat on the wall in that area of land. Ah, the legend, you see. Anyway, here we are. Um, I mention that because of the way we can distort the um, stories and the way we can change them. And that's relevant for the passage that we're looking at, and certainly this particular part of the Exodus. The historic and, uh, context is that we are around 1500 BC. We're in the Bronze Age. We know that um, there was trade between small towns. We know there was slavery. We know that there was the beginning of um, uh, nation states and that uh, people were becoming very good at crafting things and making things out of precious metals, including gold. And there are, in various museums around the world, examples of the amazing things that people made at that time. We know that uh, not so long before this, Moses, having committed murder, had gone back to um, Egypt and had pleaded for the people to be released from slavery. And we know the story of the plagues, and we know that they sat down to the Passover meal, and they daubed their, um, above their doors with, with the blood of, of the Passover lamb, and that the firstborn were killed, and then the Pharaoh said, you can take your people. But then he changed his mind, and Moses got to the Red Sea, or the Sea of Reeds, and God was like, what shall I do? And God said, stretch out your hand, and say, you know, stretch out your hand. And he stretched out his hands, amazing thing to do, and the sea parted, and they all went across into the Promised Land, and then, just as the Egyptian army, the entire Egyptian army followed them, the sea came back, boom, and they're all killed. And the people are released. They are free. But they are wandering around in the desert now. But God sent them a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of smoke in the day that they could follow. And they arrive eventually at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And that's where we are now. Only Moses is up the mountain talking to God and the people are at the bottom of the mountain specifically. So we have the mountain where God is talking to Moses, the people at the bottom of the mountain, um, and you need to imagine that these are like refugees now, because they've left everything behind. 
They've left absolutely everything. So it's like a, it must be a bit like a refugee camp at the bottom of the mountain. Um, and we know that people started to grumble almost, didn't they? And say we were better off in Egypt as slaves, even though they now have this freedom. Um, let's just go back, though, bearing in mind what I said about getting, telling stories. Let's just go back and have a look at Exodus 19. And it's definitely worth just having a peep at these. I'm not going to dip around too much, but Exodus 19. And someone say what page it's on, because I'm afraid on this 76. 76. Page 76, Exodus 19. If you just look at verses 4 to 6 there. Okay. So Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And it says, so Moses went back and told them that. Okay? Very clear. Reminding them of this covenant with Abraham that they were going to be a special people. Now, if we jump on to Exodus 20, over the page, what's the number? 77. Okay, Exodus 20, verse 2, very clear, and God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And so it goes on. Okay? It's very, very clear what God does. And Moses writes these things down. He writes down what God says. He writes down the Ten Commandments. He writes down all the civil laws, in fact. And he goes back to the people. And in, verse 20, in chapter 24, it's worth jumping across to chapter 24. Um, chapter 24, let's start with 7, verse 7, which is on page... 82. You're doing really well, Brian. 82. Page 82. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So the people have arrived at the bottom of the mountain. They've already heard the commandments. They've heard what God said. They've agreed that they will do everything. Okay? And Moses has written it down. And then the next few chapters, chapter 25 to 31, is a conversation that Moses is having up the mountain, in the cloud, behind the smoke that people can't see. They just know it's hot, it's fiery up there, and he's up there. 
and there's, as I say, six chapters of conversation between Moses and the Lord. And then we get to our reading. Okay. Which was, as you remember, Exodus 32, verse 1 to 14. Let's have a look at the first verse. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Do you see how the story has changed? Do you see? In all those other references, it was God who brought the people out of Egypt. Every time. It was the Lord, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt. I was the one who did this. I was the one, God was the one, who had the people on the wings, like on eagles, the wings of an eagle. And here, suddenly, the people at the bottom of the mountain, they've been waiting, by the way, over a month, like the whole of the summer holidays, 40 days and 40 nights. It's a long time, and Moses hasn't come back. And actually, when they grumble about it, it they are using a word which sounds as though he's, you know, embarrassingly late. That's what the suggestion is. And, and they may well think he's not coming back at all because that mountain is hot, smoky, high. He's gone. But notice how they say, that how they've just changed that story slightly. Um, as for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Well, he didn't. But it's a very easy thing to do, isn't it? To turn a human leader into a kind of idol. To stop seeing God as being the one who saves us, God as being the one who leads us, who um, undertakes for us in our whole lives, and to start focusing instead on a leader. And in that way, humans can quickly become idols as much as a golden calf. It, you know, I do think it would have been very easy if Simon had stayed here much longer for us to start talking too much about Simon and because he's an amazing person, and we all know that. I know, I know you know that. But we'd be talking too much about that person rather than about St. Swithin's and us and the body of Christ and what God is doing through us all in this place and God's vision for this place. It's very easy for a leader to end up on a pedestal and become an idol almost without us realizing it. And look, if this happened to people who were freed from slavery in this miraculous way, I mean, mega miracle, mega miracle, I haven't experienced a miracle like that in my life, right? That all these things happening, the river parting, going across, the Egyptian army, boom, all of these things at the bottom of the mountain, God's talking to Moses, and suddenly you're thinking, Moses is the man. But no, God is, God is. And sometimes it's not religious leaders, sometimes it's, um, it's politicians, I mean, I, no, this, I'm not going to say it. But there are people out there, aren't there, that we can just think, oh, that's the one. For me, the danger is Poldark, if I'm honest. <laughs> Shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have said that. 
So we go on to Exodus 32. Look at, let's look at verse 4. So, so Aaron then, not knowing what to do, agrees with the people. He's, he's Aaron's spokesperson, if you remember, his brother. And so he goes with them and says, okay, take off all the gold you've got on you, the gold earrings, etc., etc." And they make them, fashion them into this, this golden calf. And he took what they handed him in verse 4 and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. So now it's not Moses. Very, very quickly, we've transferred from this idol of a person to these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. This God-shaped golden calf is now the thing, the idol, the god, which did this amazing thing. Now, we look at this and we think, my goodness gracious me, it's not that many days ago, frankly, since you received this wonderful law, the Ten Commandments, and right at the very beginning of that is, you will not make any idols. And now here we are with the idols. Why does that happen? And I say, why does it happen? Because we all do it, don't we? We all, in our ways, try to put God into a golden container, which I think is sort of what this, this calf is like. Because God is so vast and so transcendent, we, in our way, want to be able to pin God down, to be able to measure God, hold God in our hands, kind of completely understand God and, and get God and to be able to, even in our faith, we want, we want to be so certain that we can tell somebody else it's X, Y, and Z. And actually, we just can't do that. This God who created the heavens and the earth, who made this covenant with Abraham that he would have descendants like the more numerous than the stars in the sky, we can't pin that God down, can we? But, we? but we do try to. We do in all sorts of ways. This is not the first command, the, the, the first or second, depending on how you read it, commandment, because, oh, well, yeah, tick, that's, that's obvious, that's easy. It's there because we all quickly, quickly, quickly stumble into a place where we want to put a value and a meaning on something which we can hold and possess which somehow makes us feel better rather than letting go and as they say letting go and letting God you know trusting all of those things which through prayer we will find isn't it interesting that at this point these people are looking at an idol now I don't know what your idol is um, it might be Poldark like me, but it might be something else. It might be something that you, you know, you might think, I'm a successful person, I did that. might be your success. It might be um, that you made things happen, that you're the one that did it. It might be that you love doing a certain thing more than perhaps you should. I'm not going to say, but you know, it could be anything. It could be drugs. It could be all sorts of things. Some sort of thing which somehow becomes more important in your life than it should. Anyway, so that's the people. They're really stuck. Two idols. 
Meanwhile, up the mountain, let's go up the mountain, verse 7. So that's happening down below, the golden calf. Meanwhile, up on the mountain, verse 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. Oh, look at that. Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Look what God, look at the language suddenly God is using to Moses. He's now saying who, the people that you brought up out of Egypt, that you did this thing, Moses. And I think God is testing Moses at this point. Because, you know, if you were Moses, you might be quite tempted to say, yeah, I did that. That was me. I stretched out my hand and you know what? The sea just did that and it was marvelous. We all walked across and then boom, all the Egyptians were killed afterwards. You know, you can imagine, can't you? Moses, perhaps feeling tempted to say, yeah, I did. Thanks, God. That was me. But I think God's testing him. He wants to know the person that I've chosen to do this loves me and is prepared to follow me. Verse 11. Actually, I mean, God gets pretty cross, but sorry, let's go on. Verse 9. I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked as in a horse that has not been broken in. So you've ever done that I've sat on a horse like that tried to turn it all the way around it just went up someone's um, someone's driveway <laughs> wouldn't turn around at all so stiff necked you know they can't be led that's what it's saying now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them that I may make you into that I may make you Moses into a great nation but not them boom I'm going to get rid of them and that's an extraordinary thing. Well, we know the wrath of the Lord. That's it. But verse 11. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people? See, he's not taking it. They're not my people. Why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? In other words, you don't want people going around saying, what a horrible, cross, nasty person you are, smiting people like that. But isn't it interesting how he says, why, first of all, saying, why should your anger burn against, but your people, he turns it round, he says, <laughs> he's like saying, no, 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 not my people, your people. And so it is, this conversation goes on, up in the cloud, on the fiery mountain, and God relents. It's hard on the mountain, and not everybody gets to go up there. In prayer, some of us do sometimes experience that, but the mountains are hard places to be. And this mountain is particularly hard, because it's both in the cloud, so it's both cold, it's hot because of the... It sounds very volcanic, doesn't it? It's a hard place to be. And, but Moses is engaging with God. He's not, 
just going with it. He's entering into a dialogue with God. He's in a relationship with God. And his prayer is not just, you know, going to go with whatever you say. He's, God is pulling him into it to much more of a discourse. It reminds me, in fact, of Jacob wrestling with the angel, where Jacob is, you know, at his wit's end. His family is divided. They're both going in separate directions. He doesn't know what to do. And God sends this angel who turns out to be the Lord, and they wrestle, 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 wrestle. And this is the amazing thing about prayer, that we can be in a relationship with God, just as we heard at the beginning of our prayers, and quite right, we should not be, a, be afraid to call God Dad. God encourages us, Jesus encourages us, go into a room, be on your own, talk to your heavenly Father who is in private, and have that relate, be in relationship, be in the struggle. If you don't get it, what's going on in your life, then ask, you know, it's kind of like that, isn't it? If you don't like what you perceive God is doing, it's okay to say. It's okay to say when you're not happy, as long as you're honest, I think. And so Moses here remembers how God has delivered the people. He remembers that God, the Lord our God, redeems us. The Lord on this mountain, the Lord that we know as Jesus, redeems us not the idols. And that's really, that whole business of relationships, struggle, letting go of the things where we feel we can capture God and allowing the transcendent glory of God to infuse us, so important in our prayer lives and so important in helping us to find the direction forward. And it is a beautiful day today and I hope we can bathe in some of that and let God fill us and help us to know the right way to go in our lives. And I think if at the end of the service, if you'd like to pray um, or someone to pray with you about any of these things, and I think Esther and people are going to be available at the front of church, if you'd like to come and pray, because these are hard things. It's hard to know the way forward sometimes. And sometimes we need to pray with one another. Sometimes we need to put down the idols that we've been carrying or the idols that we have just to make sure that Almighty God and that Jesus is in the center of our lives, nothing else. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you so much for this amazing story. Thank you that you carry us as you carried those people out of Egypt on the wings, like as, as on the wings of an eagle. Thank you, Lord, that we, we saw with you. Lord, help us to be truly repentant of the idols we carry in our lives or try to possess in our lives. And help us, Lord, to have open hearts, to know a little tiny something of your glory whilst we walk on the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.